friends, fans, collaborators, buddies, homies, however you think about yourself in my world, I think about you as my friends. I'm Chase Jarvis. I want to welcome you to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, and I do everything in my power over the course of the next, I would say, hour, oh, that's a rhyme, to unpack actionable and valuable insights to help you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. If you've been following my social feeds lately, you'll know that I've done a couple posts on a couple different platforms, specifically leaning into authenticity. That word, it's so easy to throw that word around, but so hard to tap into. So I thought that made me think about this conversation that I had a couple years ago with a good friend of mine named Mark Echo. You know Mark's work. Mark is a creative entrepreneur. He's probably best known as the founder of the apparel brand Echo. Started off as a t-shirt airbrusher in his mom's garage. Eventually grew that into one of the largest streetwear brands in the world with a global footprint over a billion in revenue. You also may have seen this viral video that he did of him tagging the Air Force One plane. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look that up. He talks about that in this episode. And most recently, he's the author of Untitled, a book called Selling Yourself Without Selling Out. If you ever have had weak knees about, hey, I'm an entrepreneur or I'm a... a a photographer, a designer, and I need to get my work out there and not sound like a jerk in the process. How do I do that without selling out? This book is a great thing for you to pick up, and this episode will add value to your day, I promise. He's also the founder of that little thing called Complex Media, which also is a billion-plus-dollar brand if you're um, street culture, graffiti culture, sneakerhead culture, uh, complex is a regular part of your media consumption, I'm sure. So you put all these things together and you have someone who is so savvy about navigating this path, which I was alluding to earlier around authenticity. All of those communities are hypersensitive about that. And yet he has built billion dollar businesses in the process. So reconciling those, those two things, I knew I had a ton to learn from Mark and I think this episode does a great job of highlighting that. A couple other highlights for the episode, really actionable tactics for promoting your work. One of which uh, is really interesting is a swag bomb, which uh, he talks about a package that he, that he was making and then delivering to his influencers back in the day, just you know, mega stars. Then that's how he actually got Echo Clothing onto the world's uh, you know mo most well known rappers. He talks about the you know um, how he deconstructed that and then built swag bombs that put Echo on the map. We also talk about why the biggest barrier to success for a lot of people is. A self-imposed one, it's fear. So if you're like me, and when you had to decide to leave all the careers that everybody else wanted for you, there's a lot of fear involved. Um, Mark talks about what happens if I put this thing out there and people don't like it. What if I fail? We address that. We also talk about the power of humble beginnings. I feel like so many people that have been on this show started from damn near nothing and found their way sort of kicking, biting, scratching, sometimes actually relaxing and being like water, following the path of least resistance. But there's this idea that's in culture that you have to be best in class tools, you have to have all of these resources to get your jump. And Mark has lived a different path than that one I think is inspirational as hell and I know you will 
grow from. Constraints breed creativity. So there's so many other highlights. I'm going to stop talking and get into the show. But before we do, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. And if you're wondering, yes, I am founder and CEO of Creative Live, but the Creative Live's resources are what make this show happen every week. If you don't know about Creative Live, I don't know what to tell you other than it happens to be the world's largest and best online platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. More than 10,000 hours of classes, top of the world's top experts, including a lot of the guests who've been on the show, you know, Tim Ferriss, Ramit Sethi, Joan McNally, Ryan Holiday, and there's all kinds of other teachers who are the best in the world. You want to learn about entrepreneurship, names like Richard Branson, Mark Cuban, the list is long. Pulitzer Prize winners, Grammy Award winning authors, bestsellers, game-changing entrepreneurs. Creative Live has classes in photography, design, business, music and best of all they've got all kinds of free streams playing 24 hours a day seven days a week on their website and their ios app if you want to get your learn on whether your goal is to earn a living or make a life around your passions just improve your craft either way head over to creative live or search for creative live in the app store with that let's get into the show Please give a super warm welcome to Mr. Mark Echo in the house. Yeah, buddy. What's up? What's up? Wow. I'm kicking, kicking waters all over the place. I'm spilling yeah, shit. Yeah, man. Spill Sorry about shit. that. That's a good vibe. Phew. Wow. It's Mark Echo, you guys. This is very cool. Isn't that nice. Mark Echo came all uh, the way from New York to visit with you all. The, the future of media. How about it, huh? We're being revealed real time amongst uh, yeah, all of us. 100 countries or more tuning in right it's now. It's unbelievable. Yeah, congratulations on, on what you've built and thank you for having me. Oh, it's uh, really cool, man. I think uh, just the, the fact that you're able to do this in such an entrepreneurial fashion and you've, you've, um, you haven't waited for someone to let you do it. You just got it done, man. Thank you. Good for you, it. and thank you for having me. Oh, man. The, the Big budget. up, Chase. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Who's his whole, all his crew. His crew is amazing, too. Um, we're here to talk about a lot of things, but I am very excited. I read this in one sitting on a plane from New York to here, uh, Unlabeled, Selling You Without Selling Out. It is available now. It just dropped on the 1st, is that right? Yes, it came out on the 1st of October. I would love it if we could really move the needle for him on this book. It's an amazing book, and the message is in there, what we're going to talk about largely today. Great. Um, I want to go with the, to the original days, the OG part, where you're painting, or you're airbrushing. Yeah. You call it painting, air, just airbrushing? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, some people look down their nose at airbrushing. They don't think it's painting, but I think it's, there's paint involved. Yeah, yeah. sure, there's yeah. paint. Yeah. The there's paint and <laughs> canvas. Paint and canvas, but to be able to, A, I love that it started in your parents' garage. Creative Live is an example, started in a, in a dingy garage in South Seattle. My first studio was a hole in the wall that we just turned into a restaurant about uh, 30 days ago. It too was very, very unpleasant. I'm sure your parents' garage and rural uh, New Jersey. Yeah, it was, in a, it was in Ocean County, New Jersey, in a town called Lakewood. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm 41 years old, and um, coming up in the 80s in a community like Lakewood was really special. I think if I, I think about um, the two maybe components in my life that if you were to separate me from them, uh, I don't know that I'd be able to be here with you today in the same capacity. One, 
is being a twin, having a twin sister, Marcy. And a shout out to my twin sister, Marcy. So she's got a great role in the book, and, too. And uh, uh, she's being kind of my ghost of reason, my consigliari in life. Um, and uh, so that, that's been a massive unfair advantage. The other unfair advantage was Lakewood and the, uh, the nature and the nurture of that environment, you know, coming up when hip hop was this thing you had to go find, it didn't find you, you had to go find it. And uh, growing up in a town that was so ethnically diverse and kind of this, uh, an anomaly relative to the rest of the, the towns around it where there was a large Orthodox Lubavitcher Jewish population, like one of the biggest in the Northeast, wow. uh, coupled with a really big black and Latino population. And um, before the cable trucks arrived, uh, you know, hip hop was this virus that was managing to, you know, kind of sneak its way in through, you know, vinyl records and, and just kind of the fanfare and the excitement for this, this kind of, of making something from nothing. So Lakewood was a huge part of my fertile, fertile ground. And I, I, you could take the boy out of Lakewood, you can't take the Lakewood out of the boy. So the, awesome. I, I'm very, uh, I'm very. So they gotta, yeah, I, I gotta go. You, you, I feel like there's this glamorized, uh, there's this glamorized vision of what an artist's life is like. And you have a studio and it's loft with bricks and this great light. It's in Brooklyn, it's got right. wood floors. And that sounds very different than your parents' garage with the green shag carpet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. My, <clears throat> there was nothing that really sexy um, about a converted two-car garage. Uh, we lived on a slab, uh, bi-level, um, and my uncle converted, uh, who was kind of the handyman for my, my parents. Um, one of his projects uh, while I was a kid was converting that two-car car garage, which they weren't using, into a, a, like a family room. Um, it was actually before I was born they did that, so I'm, I'm pretty sure I was conceived. Oh, nice. On that, on that, <laughs> nice. yeah. And the atmosphere of that room was kind of crazy, because, um, you know, Jewish kid from Lakewood, New Jersey, my dad, uh, I guess, was fulfilling some kind of wasp fantasy, because he had, like, a nautical-themed bar <laughs> with mirrors on the walls. Nice. And, like, this, I mean, it, it, it was really... Very it, was like, it was very not uh, Yiddish, right, as we say in French. Um, so, but uh, yeah, and um, but thankfully that was kind of like my, you know, my extension of my office because they, as a kid, uh, you know, in seventh, eighth grade, I converted the one side of the garage to just the, the lab where uh, I had a, a makeshift easel, mm -hmm. uh, a Sears Craftsman compressor and a, and a Pache VL3 and a whole bunch of paint and um and some t-shirts and, and and some t-shirts and i would uh just you know just go nuts you know there's a uh, i'm trying to sort of go head on into this romanticism and, and basically de-romanticize the fact because my experience in photography is the same way it was out of an apartment here in seattle uh, yeah. i was developing chemistry in the bathroom right. very very unsexy uh, with super primitive tools, and yeah. you know, you're, you 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 drop Sears in there, so it's not like it was some fancy name nope. brand shit. Nope. And I feel like there's this attitude, generally speaking, that the tools make the man or make the artist or make the woman. And I want to totally yeah. defunct that. I want you right. to talk to me about that for a second. It has yeah. nothing to do with that. No, of, of course not. I mean, uh, I think um, we assign too much value generally, uh, um, you know, to uh, kind of kind of uh, the status quo, quo kind of best-in-class tool sets. 
I think, you know, when, uh, what I've found in life is that you don't compete with dollars and the tools, you compete with ideas. And, you know, your, your kind of uh, ability to kind of navigate through lean um, resources. And often the um, limitations on your resources uh, provoke thought process and um, a means to problem solving in ways that if you did have all the kind of best in class tools, yeah. right, uh, you might not have gotten to the solving the problem in exactly the same fashion. Yeah, constraints, yeah. they drive creativity yeah. in my mind. Like I, I think there's the belief in the world also that if in my case an ad agency comes when you just shoot a campaign, Anything you want to do, usually that paralyzes me. I'm like, right, yeah. God, what do you mean? Too. Yeah, I need to know how long the thing needs to be, how tall it is, give me the color palette. And a lot of times I'll take those ideas and flip them and pitch them back to you. Right. But it gives me something to start with. And I think the same thing could be said for tools. Right. And I, and I think it's, uh, and unfortunately, a lot of creators, if you're um, an artist, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an inventor, if you're trying to build on a service, you kind of always begrudging that you don't have those tools at the starting point. So you're like, oh, I'm not ready to launch. There's always that kind of failure to launch because oh, I'm just waiting for if that then scenarios versus like, no, 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 no. Just jump in the shit and just, you know, wet yourself up and, you know, try again. And uh, the, the, what's the delay? The, the, it, you know, part of uh, art and creation is, is iteration um, and knowing that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm confident in taking that bet on myself that, even though, and I know this in almost every action that I take, I tell it to my, my, my coworkers and staff all the time, like I'd rather us get to the vicinity, you know, yeah, just get than near. the final destination. Yeah. Let's just get to the vicinity, like 70%. Because I know that I'm smart enough or we're self-aware enough that we'll make up that delta between the 70 and the 100%. We'll have time to fix that. It won't be life-threatening. Yeah. You know, and don't sit there and be like, oh, I'm not ready because I don't have that one thing or if that then or that one person. And, you well, know, so big... what is the thing that gets in people's way? What is the thing that inhibits people from starting? I think they're probably afraid. I think fear, you know, um, is uh, a massive, um, you know, look, it's God put it in all of us. There's, a, there's an order, nature, whatever your beliefs are, you know, I'm not going to impose uh, about faith here, but you know, it's my belief that it's there for a reason. We're programmed, you know, to know don't put your hand in the fire, you know. Um, but we get kind of, uh, um, uh, you know, handicapped by it or uh, paralyzed. Uh, and we want to, you know, um, either if it's a self imposed fear or if it's kind of a projected fear, um, it's one thing to say, you know, all right, I'm afraid I'm going to lose everything, all right? Like, then, then don't bet everything, right? right? It's like, some folks will, you know, I get that I will lose everything kind of notion, sure. you know, that's, and that is scary, but if your fear, and if you're being intellectually honest, is around peer review or peer ridicule or chasing perfect, yep. Right. Um, perfect is you're the never, enemy of great. That's, yeah. I'm some people are going to retweet that right there. Perfect yeah. is the enemy of great. That's right. Yes, it is. I don't know who, who said that. Somebody first. smart. Yeah, someone smart. Don't you will be like <laughs> at question mark. This will be a useless tweet. <laughs> like, at someone who's not in the interview yeah. said. As I think the Internet might be able to find the original yeah, yeah, quote. Yeah, right yeah. Wiki that shit. 
so we, we've agreed that fear is an issue. Um, again, the goal of this show is to give people real tactical shit that they can go out and change their life sure. as soon as possible. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, both Ryan Holiday and Tim Ferriss, have sat yes. in this exact seat. And Tim has a really good approach about sort of deciding and, and actually exploring what's the worst that can happen. And rarely is it losing everything. Rarely right. is it going hungry. Rarely is it... And A, if you lose everything, then don't bet that big. That's right. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that if people really thought about it for a second, what are you going to do? It's The worst is usually public or peer ridicule. Yeah. So I want you to talk about that for a second. But what public is, and peer ridicule is just a part of the equation, right? I mean, you're not going to be liked by everyone. And I think um, the, the construct of, and it's a theme in the book, where, you know, look, you know, being this kind of, chubby white Jewish kid that was into hip hop. I think you, you look know. great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, I'm still chubby on the inside. Um, so. But, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, let's but move on. There, that's a good quote. I'm still chubby on the inside. That'll be quoted. That'll be on Twitter. No one will understand that. Uh, but, yeah, the, um, Look, that's a part of like, you know, welcome to life, right? Yeah. I mean, that's like every Greek tragedy has been written, every story, every narrative is there. So we know we have the evidence, yet we, um, and there's nothing unique in my story in, in you know, when I say about, uh, about uh, my story from a kind of blocking and tackling kind of a manner and kind of narrative uh, point of view. I think what's unique is maybe my ability to kind of share the, the lessons and, and create the evidence to, to defend against these uh, these 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 kind of perceived barriers but yeah like peer peer review and kind of waiting for the consent from like a gatekeeper or a thought leader or um in some instances even friends yeah. you know for me coming up that was there was this tension because in the late 80s early 90s this hip-hop was kind of in this uncomfortable goofy prepubescent <laughs> stage where it was kind of clumsy and there was like oh where was it going to go you had MC Hammer doing popcorn chicken commercials and people were pissed off about that and like, you know, Vanilla Ice. But at the same time, you had like some of the greatest rap records yeah. of all time. Chuck you had D, Tribe Called Quest and, yeah. you know, Public Enemy and Jungle Brothers and all this like really important kind of Afrocentric conscious music, right? Um, that was really shifting the, you know, the culture and kind of becoming the new rock and roll. Uh, so there was always that tension there. So there was a fearfulness inherently of that don't cross over. Yep. Right? I mean, records were made about that. Like EPMD had that whole like crossover record and you know, there was that whole tension of, of what's that line. So I've always kind of, my narrative, it's consistent. You know, look, airbrushing, you know, I was influenced by graffiti art. In Lakewood, New Jersey, there wasn't an N or an R train. Okay, right. there wasn't like the subway line or, or you know, the MTA, right? There was the back of the shop, right? That you could bomb, <laughs> right? There was the, the roller rink, but more importantly- nuts on Skate King, man. Just, yeah, yeah, but and so like, I can't really front like that that was where I was from, but it served me because I, it, it, the aesthetic, because you know, I remember getting Henry uh, Chaffant and Martha Cooper's book, Subway Art, um, and kind of like, whoa, this heretical thing happened. Yeah. Like my world just got so much bigger. And suddenly the comic books, I was able to retire the comic books and my fascination with like comic books. I was an artistic kid, right? Sure. I was too fat to break dance. I was too kind of, you know, uh, not uh, confident enough to rhyme. 
um, uh, didn't have the coordination to DJ, right, or the equipment, um, but I was artistic. So graffiti gave me the ability to be expressive in kind of a macho way, right? And when you're, you know, 13 years old and a little goofy and uncomfortable in your skin, and you, uh, you're trying to fit in amongst your peers and this hip hop thing's emerging, it gave like a real purpose for me, you know? Um, but it, it was a consistent beat though, because look, airbrushing wasn't quote graffiti. Right. That's airbrushing, that's existential, right? That's the, the you know, that's not, that's only the cousin to the aerosol spray can, right? right? So, you know, I remember coming up and in college having a really successful business painting t-shirts and I was really, you, you know, managing to get access into the um, kind of the music industry through the success I was having. Sure. And, and my peers suddenly like just, you know, got real cynical. Like they were like real, you, you know, and... and uh, was uh, it the success? Are we, like I'm trying to identify a pattern so these folks in the world can actually apply it to themselves, which is you started to achieve some success, your, I would call it even fringe, airbrushing's relationship to graffiti, mm -hmm. and yet you were getting, getting up. Mm -hmm. And when you're getting up, your friends are getting out. Like, right. talk to me about that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. Uh, look, I, like I said, I don't think, uh, I don't think that, you know, not to be totally self-effacing, but I don't think that this pattern is unique. I think we have to, you know, to help the the audience and and those trying to maybe or going through similar things to try to recognize the pattern, that maybe I was projecting, like reflecting back on that period of my time of that wantedness sure. of that affirmation of from your friends because that was a more meaningful currency than money, Yeah. right? Uh, and uh, that was the currency that kind of fueled me through the high school years. And my high school years, you know, were, were kind of steeped in my adolescence of, and having the comfort of knowing these folks since kindergarten. Yeah. So they were more familial. When I went and I dropped into college, I realized that that Lakewood paradigm of diversity, that the rest of the world wasn't quite as diverse. So people were projecting their view of my label onto me, right? Which is kind of what the theme of the book is. Yep. This is like, this is the, you know, how the world tries to organize us like products and, and try to organize us by the skin in which we're packaged or their perception of us, right? So I think that at that time, when you're young and you're emotional and you're creative and there is that meaningfulness of, of that affirmation from your peers, that that's a common struggle for, for creators and founders and inventors of wanting everyone to go along for the ride. Right. But when you realize that nature's just not built that way. Yeah. And uh, you, you know, the world and, and the notion of friend, and I talk about this in the book, Freund, the German root word is to love, okay? Then we have commoditized the notion of friend, yeah. right? And one of the, you know, kind of the unintended consequences of this kind of world of distributed media and social and followers and friends and likes is that we've cheapened the real deep yeah. understanding of that word means. So I've learned to, you know, maybe it makes me slightly a little antisocial or a little bit of a shut in, but my friends are really valuable, yeah. right? And I think thing. I learned to realign my expectations uh, and, and, and redefine those, those, uh, the meaning around those ideas uh, and, and realize that this pursuit, right, of establishing a unique voice in your business, in, in you know, in, in life, is there you need a certain degree of selfishness 
It's a, right? great, it's a great part of the book. You need a little bit of selfishness, not toxic, yeah. where it becomes hubris, okay? But you can't be all kumbaya, can't we all just get along? Like, yo, I, I fit in with the herd, every herd. Because yeah. then, like, you're not differentiated. Yeah, by definition, of a, a community is, is what you are, but it's also what you aren't. Right. right? So, and, and I think that, you know, so much of where young people, how we're groomed and, and culturally, is there is that wantedness, that neededness, especially if you're creative and expressive, all right? And because it feels good to be affirmed and loved. But let's call it what it is. If you're doing shit that, that's actually turning heads, you probably have some people that don't like what you're doing. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, if, if you are getting total uh, coalescing of the audience, I think you're probably, you're probably not thinking about it in terms of what's in here. You're probably measuring what's out there because that's about the only way you can make something and make everybody happy is you're constantly checking in with all your peers, which is a bullshit way to go about making any art that matters. Yeah. Most of the things that I think are worthwhile within me or within you mm -hmm. or any artist usually comes from in here. And when you're trying to be different, not better, the only way you're gonna, there's so, like Mark said, the, the narratives have all been written. Yeah. So how are you gonna take a picture or paint a shirt or create a piece of clothing that no one else in the world can create? You take your whole life story and you package into the very next thing that you create. It's a series of experiments that have gone on inside here and that's the way that you actually differentiate your work from the world. Yeah, you have to be intellectually honest about how differentiated you are in the, mar in the market. Yeah. I think a lot of people suffer from just building off of a hunch or a gut thing. And I think this is one of the things I talked about Marcy right before. Yeah. Having Marcy and then also my partner Seth Gertzberg on the come up, they were they were kind of a, because I think you, you had this tendency to want to, you build and you're trying to be self, slightly selfish and it's like try to, you, you, but you want to consciously, you parrot what sure. your peers are doing, right? Yep. So I was always fortunate to have these kind of hypercritical, almost masochistic perspectives around me that I trusted yeah. that would um, uh, um, keep you honest. Keep me honest about that yeah. stuff. Uh, especially as you get more means, sure. right? Like that's what's like, cause suddenly now you have more tools. That's right. More and now tool, you could more do friends, more shit. More you could, you have the money. tools that you didn't have. And then you realize like, well, actually, and you, and, but then you're like, well, what, what do I do next? You know? Uh, and I think, uh, I think that that's um, an interesting tension in, in, you know, kind of commercializing and building in the pursuit of your, your product or your business. Um, and reminding yourself of, of in, inherently of what got you to the dance, right? And that's really, like at the, at the book, we, what I talk about is establishing an understanding of, of what your personal brand is. And personal brand is one of those kind of really gross ideas to talk about. Even here, it's slightly uncomfortable, like all of us talking about personal branding, right? I mean, it's like, it's so clunky. It is. It's so goopy and could be so patronizing to be a personal brand. Oh God, can I read about that on like, you know, Fast Company or something? Like, or do I have to talk about that with my friends? Yeah. And, and probably if I put any two of you guys together and made you go in a room and talk about your personal branding, it'd be like, yeah. it'd be gross, right? Yeah, it'd be really un uneasy. <laughs> it'd be an uneasy conversation. But there's some rigor that comes with kind of coming to terms with that yep. and being intellectually honest about that. And really what I mean when I talk about personal brand is, you know, and it goes against the theme of label, is that there's two kinds of brands. There's the brands that you perceive, right? Skin sure. to the world, right? Uh -huh. And for a guy who's built a branded platform with my name on underwear and, in, and on glass bottles and water and, you know, like all that, the whole vanity of brand, if you're not careful, you live up to the perception of that skin to the world brand. Yep. 
And then there's the one that's the, the, the more material brand, which is your guts to the skin brand. And where we're so culturally wanting to kind of play up to our labels, to our perceptions, we often, we're guilty of it. It's just yeah. human nature. We lose perspective on the guts to the skin thing, yeah. right? So it's really, a, 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 it's, it's designed to make the reader and the folks out there kind of flat-footed a little bit about thinking intellectual, in an intellectually honest way, or like what deeply is the composition of their values. What do you care about? What, what do you care about? What's going to make you happy? Yeah. Right? What, not rich, happy, distinction, okay? Yeah. Big distinction, trust, okay? So the, 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 the idea of being tuned into that and then realizing that ultimately that's what your brand is composed of. It's what you make, it's what you do, right? And it has to be intellectually and creatively aligned with those values. I think that's right? the biggest thing, the, the biggest disconnect that I see in and artists that are coming up that come to me and say, hey man, can I have some advice on this? I see a disconnect between who they really are and the thing that they want to be because they're looking out there for validation and for ideas when the, the meat of it is, the, as you called it, skin, guts the to skin. Guts to skin, yeah. Guts to skin. Yeah. Um, if you're just tuning in, I'm Chase Jarvis. We're here with Chase Jarvis live and my guest is Mark Echo. I'm inviting questions from the universe out there on Twitter via hashtag CJLive and or Facebook on my page somewhere up in there. We've got people taking those questions and they'll feed us to them here on my cheating monitor that's just off screen. You can't see and only I can. Magical. It's magical. And uh, in a second, I'm going to go to some questions here in the in-studio audience. But before we do, I want to, uh, it's, it's talking about coming up. So you turn this business from spray painting in your parents, sorry, airbrushing in your parents' garage with green shag carpet to a billion dollar business. Mm-hmm. And if I'm reading the book correctly, wasn't a smooth ride? No. There's a lot of loss of self, a lot of projection, a lot of lack of understanding of these key principles that we're talking about that's right, right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, and I think that's why what I try to do in, the, in, in sharing here and in writing this was very cathartic because I was able to, for better or worse, um, concede some of the mistakes. It was not all clean and pretty and perfect, right? Um, and the, the fact that I make the, you know, I define the anatomy of the brand, uh, of what a brand is, and I define the, you know, the spine of that anatomy being the, this notion of authenticity. You know, people might say, Mark Echo talking about the authenticity, like, there's, like, there's what? You know, they don't get that. Um, especially, like, You're in Times Dress, Square, how is that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. How are you keeping it real? Right, yeah, it's, it's, especially with the whole, like, coming up in a culture of keep it real, right? Um, so, but the point that I, in, in doing that and, and speaking about that um, uh, and kind of making that the central to the, uh, the book is to, you know, be able to be honest with people that I've lived through experiences where I was highly inauthentic and then, and, you know, instances where I was able to problem solve through being very authentic and aligned to those guts to the skin's sure. values. And I use my story as more as a, as a guideline against the, the, the overarching theme of the formula. Because yeah. I think anyone's story could apply. Sure, and, uh, and, I'm gonna give the audience yeah. a little insight. So within the context of the book, there's a formula. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the things we're talking about right now and how they relate to one another and what you actually need to do to sort of stay authentic. He's done a nice job of putting it into a formula. I'll let you guys discover that for me within the book. We'll talk about it sort of generally yeah. Uh, yeah. as we wrap up. But before we do, I want to talk about you know authenticity and coming up. There's this really interesting event that happened in 2006 where you tagged Air Force One. Yes, yes. That's pretty ballsy. 
Yeah, I mean, that was, um, yeah. That, we actually got, we have it on video here okay. for the folks in the in-studio audience. And uh, I don't know if, if uh, my director back there can cut to that in just a second or not, but I'd like to show a video of Mark Echo, Mark Echo in 2006 tagging Air Force One at uh, the Air Force Base, right? Hello guys, this is the editor here. I've shortened just a little bit this part because the audio alone can't really paint the full picture, but don't worry, we've put the link on the description of this episode for you to check it out. Okay, we're back again with Mark and Chase. Yeah. Yeah, for those of the in-studio audience that might not have been able to see that on that small screen, it's, he, uh, it's tagged still free, right? It was written still free, yeah. And I was just thinking how that would have looked with a GoPro. <laughs> so much better, right? Now, a GoPro here with three plus. <laughs> Tag, we need to recut that. I know. It'd be it'd, so much be more 4K, HD. Right? It'd be, be fucking 4K. <laughs> you know, you could have had slow motion in that shit. <laughs> right? So, well, no, that, that was a really... Um, there were a lot of things that kind of drove up to that uh, instance. And again, it was one of those, um, I think, examples of a thought process of you compete with ideas, not dollars. That was How shot. How much that cost you? Uh, probably all in production costs and everything, probably just under a million. Um, but relative to here we are, I mean, that was shot in 05. Okay, and you need to reveal the, the, the shtick that folks don't know. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's, it's a fugazi. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the backstory on that, um, first of all, you need to think of its time and place, right? So 2005, YouTube, pre the Google acquisition, right? So Google acquired YouTube, I believe, in October 2006. That was deployed in spring of 05. Um, uh, and uh, that, that there's a much different time and place. So what you could do notionally with this medium of kind of hoax videos, right? Just for folks. To yeah, that wasn't sure. real, basically. Yeah, um, uh, it was a much different time. And, and today, I think you, you now have a default, a default disposition from folks where if they see those sorts of things now, the default point of view is to be like, you know, how did they use CG, right? It was kind of an interesting, fascinating sure. way in how the modality of video was used online, right? And right. this kind of using, taking almost advantage of this new technology, this new modality and people's perception, their understanding. And, uh, and, and in some, to some extent, the great emotional tool of like a nemesis. And I sure. talk about this in the book about like nemesis marketing. Um, I was marketing a video game at that time, and we had a budget, and we were doing display media and some MTV ads, et cetera, and we were convinced that this was gonna be a better use of our marketing budget. You know, so we went and uh, hook up with a guy named uh, David Droga, and Droga uh, from Droga5, mm -hmm. uh, the agency, and this is, the, I was his first client. Okay. All right, he <laughs> just was launching Droga5. Now he kills it, by the yeah, way. He's, he's got one he's, of the most successful ad agencies. Of yeah, so in, he won a, a con, uh, line, uh, you know, one of those Lions Awards and cons or whatever, yeah. I don't know. So I don't know. Uh, and then Patrick Milling-Smith from Smuggler, the production company, uh, got together and we all brainstormed. And I knew I wanted to do something crazy and splashy. It was like, let's go tag Wall Street, which would have been kind of fortuitous with like the whole Occupy movement. But right. uh, the, uh, it was, this was right time, right place. The foil, a post 9-11 Patriot Act America, George Bush's Air Force One, right? Great foil. Absolutely. Okay. The best. Um, uh, and 
the, you know, we were marketing a game getting up uh, that I published with Atari um, and uh, Still Free was the crew name of the lead protagonist, Train, Coltrane Crowley, the character in the game. Got it. So he wrote Still Free, SFC, Still Free. So that was kind of the dotted line connectedness. Got it. And we took a leap, you know, because on the surface, you wrote the, read the script for this thing in terms of like, not the script literally sure. for the video, but for the, the marketing plan, it's like, oh, it's too much of a dotted line. YouTube's kind of an unknown. How do you deploy? Um, we had all kinds of plans of like, you know, you know, dropping it in a mailbox at like CBS, like doing like really kind of to make it really look, you know, sure. um, underground. Um, and uh, we just, it just you naturally put it, put it out there. And, you know, the next thing you know, like the, uh, um, the Pentagon is making statements <laughs> on, we don't believe that's real. And, you know, and like Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper covered it. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and Wolf Blitzer. All right. <laughs> you know, graffiti artist, Mark Echo, and I'm sitting, you know, but it was really, look, right time, right place, sure. right concept, ideas, not dollars. You'd say, well, Mark, a million dollars is really expensive. Probably, probably in today's production costs and value, and we probably overcompensated. Sure. In the, in kind of, probably overproduced, but renting a 747 and painting it is not trivial. Yes. Okay. And <laughs> you only painted half of it, right? Only one only half of that. side. That's yeah. Hollywood at work for you. That's all Hollywood, man. I know, I know. I mean, Let me actually, I'm gonna try and put a bond on this because what I think is, is fascinating is it's ideas, not dollars. And yeah. what, so that's the big ass idea. Yeah. You could have done a, the same thing for much, much cheaper. And so let's talk about what you're talking about right now is selling, mm -hmm. right? Because you're pimping your video game. That's right. And artists out there, I think there's this notion that you can't sell yourself and somehow be authentic, which is horseshit. Right. Right. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about that in a second. Mm -hmm. But this is a classic example of competing around ideas and not dollars. Yes, he did it with the painted 747, didn't have to do that. There are lots of other ways. If you didn't do it with the painted 747, you, anyone in this audience could do it for 250 bucks now, not with 747, but fill in the blank on that thing. Mm -mm. So how can you, this is a question to ask yourself, how can you distance yourself from your, the, the people that are in your sphere so that you get noticed and you come up with $250? There are a thousand ways you can do it. Mm. You talk a lot about swag bombs, mm. uh, and I think that's a, that's a really important takeaway. That's mm. one of the things that I want to talk about now. Mm. So you have had a history of doing this. this one cost a million dollars. Mm. We're not, we're not, we don't want to, it's not really yeah. about the price tag. It's about the idea. What are some other things? Well, that the, you, in the book, with the, this is a, a part of the formula is your range of emotional impact. Okay. And, you know, there was most recently those Apple commercials that use this, this concept, but I've, I've, I've been a, f a tenant to this idea. My uncle taught me this, that it's not what you make, it's how you make people feel, right? Uh, that might and, get quoted. You know, and, and uh, that, you know, I know recently Apple just serendipitously used, a, used that in, in uh, one of their ads. But that I do believe that this idea of the, the range, the distance between you and your audience, your user, whom you're transacting with, and ultimately the emotional impact you're having on them. So this was about de designing backwards, working backwards. Well, what's the, the feeling that the game was trying to articulate, yep. right? This was, it was a game with Rebellion a lead protagonist and, yeah. who didn't carry a gun, didn't have a knife, okay? And it was a, a, an action adventure game where he had to beat his enemies with his hands and with spray paint. 
So, which is a totally ridiculous idea in a world, in that future world uh, in the game where it was like, um, you know, a, a militarized world, right? And everyone was armed, right? It's totally, I mean, it's a cartoon, right? It's sure. like a comic book. Um, but how would we make people feel that that was possible? That's the takeaway, is what can you do for $250 or less that changes your game in the eyes of your peers and the people that you're trying to attract at your audience? That is a great example. I think maybe one of the best living examples. And again, you have to play at a big scale to get picked up by Wolf Blitzer. Right. But I don't think anyone here needs to. Not be, necessarily. Needs to I mean, we've seen now scenarios and instances. Uh, if you, you, I mean, you know, this is a pretty smart audience. They're pretty tuned into like from marketing and media, and they're pretty savvy. So there's a that one, the group of kids that had that college project or whatever, where right. they they did the CG. Eagle picking up the baby, yeah. And there was a bunch of students that did that video, yeah. right? As like, and like the the idea was like, and then they found themselves on the news. But the the point I think here is, you know, knowing that ultimately, you know, and I think more than ever today, and I haven't always been good at this, sure, okay. But I do believe this. That's why you wrote the that, book. Yeah, that uh, that the the being there's that line that in the beyond the transaction that creates a utility, a usefulness between you and your fan, your cu customer, your stakeholder, which is like you have to be useful. And, and if it's delighting them with an emotion or some other utility, there has to be beyond just the fact that like I make shit to keep you from being naked, right? <laughs> right. Like it's like, all right, so I keep your torso covered. <laughs> like that's like, that's one utility as and an that's a commodity yeah. as an apparel designer, right? But in this instance, I knew that, you know, all right, the game will keep you distracted for 10 hours, or will it make you imagine you know, what sure, a, a new brand of a possibility of rebellion or, or like, or revolution through art, you know, and expressing that concept. Yeah, maybe that's slightly saccharine, whatever, but um, that was, we worked backwards from that premise. Sure, what's gonna surprise and delight? Yeah, and you have to, and being, saying like, oh, how am I gonna make them feel and that instance, and this goes back to, I talk about swag bombs in, in, in the book. Swag well, bomb is a package that you make specifically for somebody that you're trying to get the attention of. Mark was probably the best in the world at this, delivering crazy, uh, beautiful graffiti clothing to guys like Chuck D and to Public Enemy. And, yeah, yeah, and, and Spike Lee and Spike Lee. DJ Red Alert and all these guys coming up. I mean, it was basically product placement, okay? Yep. And, uh, you know, coming up in the 80s and 80, from 89 to 93 when I was, you know, coming out of high school and in college, what I would do is, you know, and I, and I talk about the kind of prescription of what should be in there. Um, I try to create these emotional transactions, these emotional impact. And, and I knew that I, you have to give of those instances in a selfless way. You have, can have no expectations to receive anything back. Not Especially even as much as a- phone call, not a text, not a tweet. Nothing. I get 10 things a week and I don't have time to respond to them. Sometimes they're beautiful and I feel bad about it, but sometimes they actually change my behavior and I'll pick up the phone and I'll call this person and say, yo, that was, Badass. It doesn't mean you can have a job here. Yeah. It doesn't mean I'm gonna, you know, you're gonna hire you or I'm gonna recommend you to the next ad agency, but it gets noticed. And the next time when I actually see you in person, you say, I sent you that book. I'm like, oh shit. So that it's hand to hand thing in a digital yeah. world in some ways is more meaningful today. And it's bullshit to think that, oh, well, that makes sense because you made clothes and like they just wear it. And that. no, bullshit. It could be a product, like your product could be a service. A mixtape. You need to uh, create yeah. a metaphor for what it is that your service does. So if your service is helping relieve 
you know, create more time in one's, someone's life, you know, or, you know, giving them the ability to sleep better at night or whatever a metaphor of your high concept of the goal of why you're doing it, why you need to exist in the world, yeah. contemplating that and thinking about how to create a metaphor for that in an object that's personalized, not like a, looks like coming from a psychopath. Okay, you don't want to... Yeah. Don't be a stalker. No, no beautiful mind shit. No, like... <laughs> No weird stalker shit, like, because people are guilty of that. Yeah, they don't realize there's a yeah. line, okay? People stand outside here and take pictures and don't come in and say, hi, I'm sitting there on my yeah. desk. I'm like, it's, it's creepy. Hello? Don't be creepy. Come on in. Don't like, be creepy. But as a device to this day, that's a part of this, this thesis that you're always auditioning. It should never be below you to have to... To, to, to communicate in this fashion. I still find to this day, I take a lot of pride from like taking out a couple hours, uh, you know, a month to say thank you or to just acknowledge someone that I like in a handwritten note and some thoughtful, deliberate yeah. object. Sure. It needn't be expensive. Okay, you don't need to break the bank. Nope. You know, it is when it looks like it was really customized and, thought, and like bespoke thoughtful. and thoughtful. It's just, it's old school, man, and that shit still works. It's very powerful. I'm going to go really to the powerful. phones, Mark. we got a lot. Questions have been pouring in. I apologize for taking so long to get to them. I've been fascinated by what Mark's been saying. Again, if you're just tuning in, I'm Chase Jarvis. I'm here with Mr. Mark Echo. Uh, parents' garage, uh, airbrush painting on clothes to billion-dollar clothing brand Echo Unlimited and Complex Magazine, which you can get to in a yeah, second. Complex so you can, uh, yeah, you can hit me up uh, on Twitter at hashtag CJLive. i got people feeding me questions, and on my Facebook page, they're coming in like hotcakes. Scott Burke, how important is educating your audience about your art? Um, that's an interesting question about, well, for me, I think that's what, I don't know that I, that's good. I want to ask him a, to explain, put more meat on that question. Uh, I'm gonna, um, I'll, I'll fill yeah, in the blanks yeah, for him, yeah, and I'm gonna, I want your answer to be as short as possible because yes. I want to rip through like sure, five yeah. of these things. So my belief is that you shouldn't have to educate them about your art because that's what the function of your art should be educating them. Right, that's right. So when when you see someone's work, yeah, it like, should be through osmosis, right? It yeah. should be like, you, you know, the, it should be uh, effortless. I mean, look for me. I don't know that I was in, I intellectualized like, oh, I have to teach people that I'm an artist. I just try to make some stuff that would make the user, the viewer, somewhat flat-footed. Experience and something. Then, and, you know, they kind of had to fill in the blanks yeah. a, a little bit. With a, with a photograph, I call it raw stopping power. If you can put a, a pair, a, a, hold up a photograph and someone goes like, whoa, that means your art was, you know, and then they can get into it and think about all the the mommy issues that you might have or it's whatever. It's kind of like, you know, George Lois, the, the, the Amazing yeah, guy. man, great guy, like one of like the smartest guys, an OG. Um, said to me, he's like the power of great marketing, and he stood up and he went, he's like, is to do this to you. This is a good picture, right? And <laughs> he's like, he's like, if it doesn't drop you like toxic gas, yeah, right, and make you on your back, it's not doing its work. He's like, it has to arrest you, take your breath away. Yeah, that and, raw stopping power. Yeah. And, All right, and, so you don't have to explain your work if you do something wrong. Yeah. At Kim Schmidt wants to know, Mark, when was the first time someone said to you that your talent can earn you money? Um, Take us back there real quick. Oh, goodness. I would say, uh, you know, to the credit of my Uncle Carl, rest in peace, who was really great with his hands, not an educated man, you know, trained vocationally, how to build and, and rebuild and fix diesel engines. He said you could use your hands to make money. 
and I must have been like seven, eight years old, and I would watch him just do like carpentry work, knocking around the house, you know, cussing and being foul mouthed and being somewhat bitter. But uh, he did teach me um, that there's something about the power of using these as a tool. Good answer. Cody Rutherford via Facebook says, how do students graduating today from college with a lot of debt not sell out? How do we unlabel when we're straddled with all this debt? So don't get me started on the educational system. That pisses me off, by the way. Yeah. Average student debt on graduation for class of 2013 is $35,200. That's disgusting. the average. That's disgusting. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I created an education company that does that for free. However, yeah. how do you not sell out? Let's just go straight to that question. And it's, it's about authenticity, right? I think we have to define the notion of sell out, right? So I think for me personally, my view, just my view, subjective, the notion of selling out is somehow double crossing your creative intention from the, the instance of inception for double crossing it for either just pure, pure monetary purposes or something really sinister. Okay. So if you're, look, I was, I am who I am from nature and nurture and from my environment kid airbrushing t-shirts in his garage, artist, putting my art onto clothing. I kind of think I, I stayed sufficiently authentic to that path, mm -hmm. had dips, learned from them, you know. Um, Where'd you get off track? How'd you get off track? Uh, one of the things that happens in the fashion industry, and I think in a lot of just when you start to kind of arrive at the gates of success is that you play to this notion that perception is reality. And this is a cultural thing that we, everyone says, you know, they whisper in your ear, like, perception's reality. You know, the first time you could start marketing yourself, you get, you hire, sit down with your first publicist, PR, perception is reality. So I started to get into the full-time perception business. You get sucked into that yeah. shit, don't you? And reality yeah, is reality. Yeah. Okay, perception is not reality. Perception is smoke and mirrors, it's kabuki theater. And if you're not careful, right, you end up parroting to a perceived version of you. You end up parroting and you become that skin to the world brand. You lose, you, be the ho you become hollow guts to the skin, right? So when I, in 06, when we are, uh, and I became like a full-time job, there was a mandate internally, everyone realized, and I talk about in the book, there's a picture of like Gary Coleman. We hired Gary Coleman to go around, rest in peace, yeah, uh, with a who is Mark Echo sign. And, and we had pictures of like, um, uh, you know, three different people. Uh, two, like one kind of uh, handsome uh, white guy, uh, short, shorn hair, another bald-headed hipster white guy. Two, both of those guys, great guys, worked in my marketing team. Third guy was another marketing guy, worked in my marketing team, a black guy, dreadlocks. And disproportionately, everyone thought it was a black guy with dreadlocks, right? Uh, like, who is Mark Echo? They knew the brand, they knew the rhino. They didn't know that a designer was connected to the rhino. So we realized we had a brand problem. So we, in terms of a narrative problem, sure. a storytelling problem, or at least we thought we did, right? Like, I don't know that we ever really did, sure. right? Like, I, I reflect back on it. Clothes were it still was selling. Like, it, was, it was an ego thing. I had, like, Ralph Laurenitis. Sure. It's like, well, if Ralph Lauren, if, if, if you could hold up the, 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 the polo horse with the dude with the stick, and people are like, oh, that's Ralph Lauren. Now, they, you know, they knew that he was, like, an old dude, right? But... Had a they, ranch and white hair. Yeah, right? yeah, but they, they, but they recognized that there was a living, breathing designer. And we wanted to launch the Mark Echo Cut and Sew brand. And we were like, how are we going to reconcile that? Sure. I needed to kind of come out from behind the curtain, come out and like kind of just being from behind the art. And uh, that was that period where, 
you know, we wrote this kind of very kind of Tony Robbins 101, write the plan to what's going to be said at your eulogy, which that's, look, I, I don't begrudge those high concepts, the spirit of that sure. in terms of helping you articulate a good plan, yeah. but you can't. But you were full of shit. Well, you, right? you, you know, it's this, this idea that you actually could, you'll visualize a future that's in such a straight path. And just because you ink it, you think it, and you wrote down this document, Mark Echo 2010. And like, it was all there. And like, the truth is like the way that you were going to get there was like, you over here, you know, when you open your eyes and it was that, cause that's really how shit is. I'm going to give them a little more context. So this plan, Mark Echo 2010 was in 2020, 206 it's launched. Yeah. Sure. And it was basically, how do we get him to get photographs and buddy with Puffy and. It was like, how do we get with on Oprah? It was crazy. I think there was even like, how do we get him to get a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. I think that was really, literally really in, in the plan. Anybody ideas? And I was like, okay, that seems like, but that really isn't. That's not you though. That's this not is, who I am. Right. You're not okay? peaceful. No, I'm just kidding. There, no, 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 I mean, I'm a peaceful guy, but like I'm not on some like, it takes a lot of, the, the, you know, the, there was this, this, a lot of, it was very presumptive. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily aligned if you were to kind of write a, you know, create a data map of alignment and congruency sure. with yeah. like my guts to skin brand, there was a lot of stuff that would be stretching me well beyond my skill sets from an honest point of view. I'm yeah. not that guy that's out there, you know, at the club. Like that's not who I am. They, they wanted me to kind of, and they, I myself, I can't put they as like the bad guys. Like sure. I myself played to this. Yeah. So in that period of my career, and here's where it's crazy. Sure. Like the media perception during that period because of the, the, the upward trajectory of sales okay. and the growth of all the retail stores, the sa total sales volume like, was at an all-time high, right? Perception, but for me, probably the most inauthentic period of my Super time. Super toxic shit, isn't it? You start really, own, like I look yeah. back on that and everybody, like everybody, the perception, like if you were measuring all the quality oh, perception, shit, oh, A plus, right? Reality, uh, I was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Super distance from yourself. So I was so disconnected, and I look back at that. It's like I can't get back that time, right? I can't get back that time, and like, not to trivialize or like be overly romantic about it. It you can't with all the money in the world, you can't make you can't rewind time. Mm -hmm. So there's unintended consequences that happen. You know, look, young, three beautiful kids, my mm -hmm. wa my wife, the kind of stress that I put into the house, like just stuff that I did. You know staff that I wasn't maybe as appreciative of, uh, as appreciative of right, sure. uh, that I could have been. So there's a, I reflect on that and you, you know, I don't want to go back there. What's, a, a, what's a filter? How do you stay humble when you're hitting it, when it's working? Uh, I think I, I've learned that you could swing your dick without being a dick, you know, like. No one's gonna retweet that. Yeah. <laughs> Swing your dick without being a dick. I mean, and I'm sorry for this young man there that. And yeah, we have someone in the audience who's under 21. Well, he's well earmuffs. under 21. Earmuffs. <laughs> Put your hands over his ears. Sorry, mom, or whatever. Sorry, little boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think it, you the, look. There's a certain degree that swagger and the cadence and confidence, the bravado, is a great part of kind of creating an environment and atmosphere. But I've learned that one's ability to change and be very present is bound by this idea of like your humility minus your hubris. And I talk about this in the book. And if you're not careful and you're caught up in the business, full-time business of perception, you're taking that, you're getting high on your own supply, right? And you are getting toxically 
addicted uh, to your own hubris. And, uh, and with all the people that you love around you, all your advisors, even though they're saying things that are sensible, you, you, you become, uh, uh, you have no capacity to hear them. Right? Well like, a, you know, well so, and I think that this is something that I see as a common thing that dogs, founders, creative types, you know, entrepreneurs, um, all of us, it's an it's a anthropology thing. It's a, it's a human being 101, emotional motherfuckers, right? Got it. Okay? Like, hubris is some toxic shit, okay? Be very cautious of, and, and be intellectually honest. Look at yourself in that mirror in that way. All the good bits, yeah. the ugly bits, naked as hell, all right? Naked as hell, like it's not pretty. Yeah. But be honest about it and be self-aware. You'll serve, you'll make life richer, you'll make the experiences with your mates and your friends and your peers and your coworkers better, uh, and you'll create ultimately like a wealth that's more meaningful, all right? And Spoken. like that's something that, that uh, I've learned that is probably one of the great lessons. And at 41, and having written the book down, if anything that I got out there was that high concept, because I wanted my kids to read that when they start kind of, you know, getting that swag, get that swag going, right? <laughs> it's like, and you sound a little bit like an old fart saying it. No, it's good to write it before like they're page, teenagers, because yeah, that's when you hand it to And them. I don't mean it to be like old fartish, because like, you know, I think about like the 41-year-old Mark and 16-year-old Mark. What would 16-year-old Mark think of 41-year-old Mark? Um, it would be those kind of things that he might roll his eyes to. But you have to be, I say it, from a perspective of having the evidence and being qualified to say it, right? Fair and it, it comes from a place of saying like, look man, just if you're not careful, you're just gonna make your time here less efficient. Right? Well said, put you on pause for a second. Raise your hands if you think of yourself as an artist or a creative. It's good. We got a good audience uh, of uh, folks that uh, we should I'm, hold I'm, that. Are we Hold putting those. it at 90% maybe? Can you put your hands back up, folks, yeah, for him yeah. if you did before? All right, everybody look at each other and remember that, okay? This um, is the future, and Mark tells a great, told me a great story last night at dinner. Give me a short version of that, because I got questions coming yeah, in. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, I spoke at uh, the Albertson uh, Foundation, great folks out in, that I that, um, am friendly with, uh, Educational Foundation, very influential in um, Idaho, uh, in Boise yesterday, and they, I do that kind of uh, um, rhetorically, where I go into groups, and typically groups of, I find like um, young uh, founders, uh, when I speak uh, either in technology or other marketing or creative related industries, and I ask that question of how many of you, I first set it up, it's like, how many of you are an entrepreneur? And like everybody raised their hand, because like entrepreneur is the new black, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's really fashionable. Yes. And it's like really sexy idea. Sure. No one knows really what the fuck it means, right? <laughs> yeah. But they all, by default, they do that. Right. Um, and then the, the very same cohort I ask, typically of an adult, if they're an artist, and you see like the reluctant three, like three, right? Um, and uh, you know, meanwhile, I asked that question yesterday. Um, started the day out asking that series of questions to high school kids, and disproportionately because they're young. They, the artist's hands go up and I, I made them keep their hands up. I was like, everybody look at each other, like high five, like look at each other, remember this, because the system's gonna try to beat that shit out of you, right? Like the system's gonna try to make you think that just because you don't have the crayons, you're not an artist or you're not, you're not a creator. Like you have to kind of comply to some delegated standard, okay, right. or some other metric that, you, that you're not gonna use that part of your brain that problem solves like an artist. And the second half of the day, I asked the question to the adults, the ed reformer types at this 
this sure. um, superintendents, yeah, superintendents of schools, all those. Uh, same questions. How many of you entrepreneurs? All hands went up. How many artists? Three. And I, and I said, isn't it crazy how I just asked the same question three hours ago and it was the total opposite? It's like, what the hell happened to you? Yeah. Why? Like, what did someone do to you that you're so traumatized that you don't allow yourself to think? in the kind of necessary and iterative and messy fashion. And just because you can't use the plastic arts or manipulate paint or sculpture or music or dance or whatever, doesn't mean that there aren't best practices of, of thinking like a creator yeah. and behaving like one. It's actually knowing, fundamentally they, human yeah. is what it means. Like you, you, everyone in this room, it's fundamentally within your DNA to make stuff and to think, think about solving problems in a way that people before you didn't. That's actually part of the DNA. So the subset of art, or art is but a subset of creativity, and I think that's one of the biggest letdowns uh, in our culture. And I gave a talk at the WDF World Domination Summit just a couple months ago in front of 3,000 people, and I took 10 seconds. I said, all right, everyone share with your neighbor a time where you made something cool and it was, was memorable for you. And after 10 seconds, I said, all right, stop. And I went through the as fast as I could in the first like five rows. All right, how, about, how old were you? How old were you? How, Eight, ten, six, eight, eleven, nine, thirteen, eight, nine. Nobody. This is a, average age is probably thirty-two years old in this audience of three thousand people. Average answer that I got the last time they made, they remembered making something that they loved was ten. Yeah, it doesn't mean like run out to Michaels, right? And like, but the point is, when next yeah. time you apply yourself, you know, when you when you when you apply yourself with a group of other human beings on a project fancy what you're working on in the same way that if you were working on that kind of arts and crafts product, like yep. you have a, it'll, it'll give you, it'll free you to think uh, differently. I'm a huge fan of actually doing something craft. That's one of the reasons I like these things because they've mm -hmm. made, they've turned the world from only 40 million photographers to 4 billion because we've been able, that was part of my mission in creating one of the, the first iPhone app that shared images to social networks to get you to think about this as a camera. Because what, it, what create, and there's scientists have proven this, that creativity begets creativity. Mm -hmm. And the simple act of making something makes you want to make another thing because you see something that you've made. I so think, creative craft, like pick it up. Yeah, and I think it's the people that re, I think are reluctant, why they're reluctant is because we think the artist is the work of the divine that that shall exist in the domain of the divine. Michelangelo creation, right? Yeah. And oh, I can't manipulate oil, I'm not an artist, that's something very pure. And when you notionally say, all right, now how about are you a brand? Then they're like, ooh, crass, Don Draper, dirty shit, devil, <laughs> Madison Avenue, gross, 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 right? And I posit that it's a fallacy that there's this holy war between art and, and commerce and that you, know, you could be a great artist and be a great entrepreneur and the very thing that makes a great entrepreneur, in fact, you'll, you'll find are the, is the very thing that makes a great artist. The thought processes that are applied there and the kind of tolerance for the messiness yeah. of iteration uh, is essential, I think, in, in, you know, in, in having a relevant product or service. The or tolerance whatever. for the messiness of creation. Mm -hmm. If you walk away with one thing from today's uh, broadcast, please walk away with that. That, the idea of iterating, the first thing that comes out is never the thing that gets published, or so rarely. There's an, it's a, creativity is a messy process, and being okay with that mess is essential to right, you. Right, because, because, because every quarter is measured by done, yeah. right? This quarter's goals, this is the line in the sand. Quantified, finite number, that's done. There's the picture of done. But art, we know, done is, when is done done? 
very hard. Right? It's the hardest like it's, thing it's about it. It's a different, it's a more of an, and, and we build our systems to make us more rational and organize us, right? So that, that we, you know, comply to some finite number. And I try to explain and why the formula, why the hokiness, why the clunkiness of it. I'm trying to take the piss. Yeah. Stop counting and trying to measure success by a finite number. Yeah. How many friends, how many followers, how many wins, how much money, how much losses, how many fucks you give, right? People are so busy counting. Yeah, it's brutal. You know, it's like quit counting. Welcome, I'm Chase Jarvis. I'm here with Mr. Mark Echo. Uh, and I'm gonna go right now if I can to, I, I saw some hands going up when I, highlighted just a second ago that I was gonna to go to the audience like maybe 15 or 20 minutes ago, so I'm sorry to keep you waiting. If my crew, I'm dying for uh, uh, mimosa, if I could have one of those, and I don't know if Mark, you wanna join me? I would like some scotch. <laughs> <laughs> one mimosa, one scotch, if we can get that, and in the meantime, Scotchy, you, scotchy, scotchy. Go you, you good, sir, with the microphone. There's Check a quote, one, two, one, two. My name's Brody Peterson. Uh, I'm a local Seattleite um, and artist. Good uh, to meet you, Brody. I love how Chase brings people from different fields uh, together. And I read somewhere that uh, New York rapper Joey Badass right. does creative direction for part of Echo. Yes. I was wondering what that relationship is and how it started. Well, I think that the, uh, it's interesting, um, the Joey relationship, you know, I had sold my operational interest in, in the Echo brands and it's a part of the story. Uh, you know, five years ago, still very much involved kind of from an ex executive kind of creative direction, but not really on the day-to-day -day operations. And, and one of the things I think that the brand generally um, fatigued from and suffered from in, in, uh, in, in the years of kind of recovering off of the, the financial uh, collapse was it didn't have enough outreach with these younger creative, you know, types. So, you know, to the credit of, it wasn't even my idea, so I can't take claim for the, the idea. Um, and I don't even know that it's been as optimized as it should be, but there's a guy named Johnny Shipes who worked for the company for a period of time, who represented Joey, and Joey was coming through the office so frequently they started talking about doing just like a collaboration on, on you know, product. Um, and I think it's, I think what you should, can expect from the brand going forward are more instances like that. In fact, what's very serendipitous for me, it's not in the book and it's kind of very serendipitous, um, is that I'm coming back to the brand in a very permanent way, uh, full time on the day to day lead design, creative direction. My first full collection is next fall. Um, and, uh, you, you know, really with an emphasis on the Mark Echo Cut and Sew brand at first, because that's where I could apply myself in terms of my resources of time. But it's just a very serendipitous occasion, and I'm excited to be able to collaborate generally with, I, I think collaboration just is essential. Like if I was building a brand from scratch today, and I intend to do this with this new co uh, that will be operational, operationalizing the business, is to basically you know, ha have the ability to have a massively distributed creative services team, right? Um, I'll be I've, part of your team. Yeah, cheers, man. Thank cheers, you. Brother. Yeah, thanks. Cheers to that. It's early so, for scotch. Yeah, sorry. It's early for scotch? Mm. Well, I thought just, you yeah, know, it's part somewhere. of the... Um, yeah, it, I'm on New York time. <laughs> Perfect. So. I, I like the... I like the uh, and I'm traveling, so I'm yeah, going to get a train right. after this. This will, you know, make life easier. Um, I like the yeah, idea. Joey's a very talented yeah, very guy. Talented. Very talented guy. And I think... Hip hop generally is new kind of crop of young people that are they don't 
it's a really interesting time. You know, like the rules have completely, not to be corny and be on some hashtag new rules thing, but look, the rules have changed, right? And Macklemore, uh, Seattle yeah, guy, good yeah, friend Mac, of mine. Yeah, Great um, example, totally transformed. Uh, and uh, I, I think um, where everyone was all doom and gloom that music is dead, 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 I actually think there's a lot of power coming back to the artists. And because of all these efficiencies in, in publishing and broadcasting, that those dependencies on the big pipes those, those big pipes are becoming less relevant, okay? There are new pipes being established, and uh, there's something to be said. I saw, like, Nipsey Hussle, the rapper, um, uh, this week released a mixtape where he sold 1,000 copies of the mixtape for $100 a piece. That's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty smart, <laughs> okay? But that's kind of a really clever admission to, look, I'd rather go narrow and deep Yep. and have really deep, meaningful, tangible relationships. To Chase's credit, what he's building and uh, with his education platform as well, who would have thought that video online, everyone's like chasing 30 seconds. It's gotta be like the cat video. It's gotta be like Tabuscus, right? Like, you, you know, it's gotta be something like, ah, oh, oh, pop, pop. I'm not saying short form's not important, but wow, 90 minutes could actually work. Yeah. That's kinda cool. Who would have thunk it, right? So you gotta That's look at the, you know, the, there's a really interesting period. Be right zigging now. when other people are zagging. And I, I've been asked my whole career, is like, who, who, what photographers are you inspired by? And not that I don't have a tremendous respect for the Masters, the Maple Thorps, the, uh, the Leibovitzes, the, the folks who have really paved the way for a lot of us, but that's not where my inspiration comes from. My inspiration comes from the people in the 60s, 70s, 80s in New York who not only not only made great art, but there was a meta layer where they were comment, like commenting and creating new art about art. Like that, that, they were redefining an entire genre of what art is. Warhol took a soup can off a shelf and put it in a gallery. Mm. Like to me, that's transformational. So those mm. guys and gals were my particular heroes, not necessarily photographers. So that sort of cross-pollination of silos, I think is, is uh, mission critical. So I'm, uh, other questions, there was a bunch of questions here in the audience and maybe we can get the microphone uh, so that the folks in the internet land can hear you. And those folks who are sending in questions, I'm sorry I'm not getting to very many of them. Mark's- I talk too long. No, I, I'm not as short. I gotta learn to be- 90 minutes, baby. You got no, but I have to learn to be shorter in my answer. I'm not that good at Media that. training I folks just, tell you that. Yeah, well, I got five I'm seconds to get training. you a microphone. And there's one right here. You want to you ask your question? Yeah, sure. Go ahead and stand right. up, tell us who you are, and then make sure when you're done you pass to these folks All in the right. front row. So, hi, I'm Robin Barrow, I'm the local creative director. So, interestingly enough, you say a lot of stuff about uh, kind of like getting into what you want to do uh, with a brand through your love of it. So, mm. you know, you like hip hop, you can be a rapper, you, you know, you can quite, you know, be on the edge of other b-boyisms, right? Mm -hmm. So you started doing business with, you know, other rappers that get in there or, or get in a lifestyle. But how do you move, once you get to that point, how do you move yourself out of the way of yourself to truly not be kind of like held by the perceptions of what you've become and what you're servicing for your clients or whatever, right? That's, so. that's a very, very good question. So I'm, I'm going to summarize it. When you're in the thing that you're known for and that thing can be somewhat limited, how do you stay authentic to that and transcend it at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's not easy. And I've, I've done, I've probably attempted problem solving those scenarios in like the right ways and in the wrong ways and I've had mixed results in, in some instances. I think there's this thing that happens, right? You get older. It's crazy. It happens to all of us. <laughs> and it's crazy how age changes your perspective on things and travel 
And, you know, I know for me, one of the things that I longed for when I hit 30 and my wife was pregnant with our first was wanting to kind of stretch beyond just that narrower kind of streetwear thing that was Echo Unlimited. It was kind of a purely more active, young, Fulbright colors, nylon, fleece kind of tops-based thing. I wanted to do, I wanted to grow up the aesthetic. And that was happening because my worldview was changing, right? Yeah. I still looked through the world through those same Lakewood lenses, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but my worldview, there was a wantedness creatively, yeah. right? And I think, uh, and I talk about this, where that's where the notion of Ralph Laurenitis came, comes up because that was a period in my career where I was parroting someone else's thing because what I thought I wanted was that rather than finding, well, no, I am that kid that painted t-shirts in my garage and I'm really good at illustration and art. So what I need to do is maybe grow up the aesthetic vernacular of that, that art thing. Yeah. And I almost try to walk away from it, trying to like parrot towards this other thing. Right. And you know, I got smacked for it. You know, like I got punished for it in like the decisions that I made in terms of the, the quality of the business, the buy side being contented, the consumer voting, no, the goalkeeper saying, sorry, no. You know, and the reason I was chasing that initially is because the gatekeeper who was like, you know, I wanted to make the fashion shows be affirmed. I wanted that affirmation. I wanted those kind of in the fashion industry is really dogged by this because people go out there and uh, they build the business almost to 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 comply to just that gatekeeper standards. The fashion industry really, really, really guilty up, yeah. of, for this. OK, and up. I've seen a lot of cats that are smarter than me, more talented that have done everything to comply by that gatekeeper standard to become darlings and their business is for shit. Yeah. Right? They, they can't pay for Fame the lease. Fame does not equal success. Yeah, they can't pay for the lease on their copy machine, yet alone the rent, right? So uh, the, the, the point is, is you have to be tuned in to the goalkeeper and you have to, so it's a blend of like finding what is, I say this, finding your inner Yoda. You have to work towards what is both commercially responsible, you know, toner cartridges in the printer, and creatively fulfilling. And how do you balance that? Right, that's the, that, that's the art of, of, uh, of uh, gonna, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna give you a personal example that may relate to the photographers in, in the world. So I got uh, reasonably successful in photography, traveling mm -hmm. all over the world with crews of 20, 30, 40 people, go to New Zealand for six weeks, four helicopters to take three pictures. Mm -hmm. you know, and so that's the thing that I sort of earned my way up to. And when you get there, so I don't want to have any disrespect for that because it's an amazing way to make a living and that's I feel right. very grateful for it. But when I'm there, I'm like, really? You start looking around all this shit for th this thing mm -hmm. that I used to do on a walk in the park by myself not all that long ago? I flipped that on its head by the, the mobile stuff. I started mm -hmm. like finding more power and standing in line in the coffee shop, mm -hmm. taking pictures. And I, can't, I, I was thoroughly paralyzed with how am I gonna actually, how is this relevant? So I'm, I didn't have to be relevant, but I still pursued it out of a personal authenticity, a passion. I said, and then I started finally actually coming out and saying, I'm actually really digging this thing. And when it was two megapixels and the camera was shitty, everyone told me I was full of shit. But mm -hmm. lo and behold, it picked up a little steam and now it's sort of made its way into pop culture. And I'm not sure. solely responsible no, for that, no. but that's called following your instincts. Mm -hmm. And I never at once said, I'm not a photographer. I don't like those big cameras anymore. You know, I, like, so there's this, uh, a better example put more succinctly is that I just had some beers with a friend of mine named Paul Crandall, who's the head of marketing for GoPro. He used to be at Red Bull, 
Was, he ran events for Red Bull. There's a lot of similarities between those companies. And I said, I was hosting a panel in Aspen. I said, how many people in this room, room of 200 people, think that, that GoPro has sold out? You know when people's hands went up? Zero. Mm -hmm. Zero. That company just got valued at $2.25 billion. So how did they keep, this mm -hmm. is my question to him, how, how did you keep your authenticity? And he said, very simply, we didn't forget about the people that put us on the map. Mm -hmm. So we might be trying to put as many cameras as we can in Best Buy these days, but you know what? We still spend the same amount of money on the, the same events and the same people that got us where we are. We're still mm -hmm. at the camera stores. We're still at the surf breaks handing out cameras. Mm -hmm. So the ability to be able to be part of the thing that got you where you were, you're still the kid who painted mm -hmm. t-shirts mm -hmm. in your parents' garage. That I think is the best, like you're always, you never take an eye off your past because it's, it's what put you there. Yeah. Very long answer, but a, I think it's a very good question. Sometimes you uh, you're, you're the, the who you came up with like might not want to grow at the same pace as you. Yeah. That's the tension you have to reconcile, right? But, um, and you have to kind of stay true to your growth curve as well, because then otherwise you might feel like you're inhibiting yourself. Yeah. Right. So I know for sure that there were ebbs and flows where we would be more connected or disconnected to, in some instances to some of that core. Sure. And that happens. And, and it happens. That happens. Um, it's, it's fair to say that. Yep. So I got a tweet or sorry, sure. a text right before uh, we started this thing from a good friend of mine named T.A. McCann. Mm -hmm. T.A. is a badass. He recently uh, sold a company to uh, whatever, sold a company, very successful guy <laughs> and a super hard worker. He was he won the America's Cup wow. as a sailor. So he's a badass. Not most recently. Uh, but he wanted to know from you specifically some people that you look up to. Mm -hmm. who, who are a couple people that you feel like are, are either doing good now or have done, done well or done you well or done well by their career and the way that they approach um, their personal brand, the way they approach authenticity? Any inspirations? I talked about some of mine, Warhol, Basquiat, those guys. Yeah, I think, who are yours? I think, well, look, there's the, there's, I have found these unlikely mentors in my life and not those mentors that necessarily say, hey, meet me every Wednesday or every second Wednesday at the coffee shop. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna browbeat you or try to counsel you into being thinking straight. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one prescriptive path of, of sure. relation with a mentor. I've, I've found that in a desire to wanna learn, um, uh, learning and a neededness and a wantedness for, for solving things creates the opportunity for the most unsuspecting mentors in, in the world that don't necessarily look or dress the part, right? Sure. Who are they? Um, for me, uh, there was a guy who I haven't spoken to forever, and I, I hope that, you know, through the book I get to reconnect him, a guy named Ken, uh, who taught me how to do color separations in channels in Photoshop. And I have a funny, funny anecdote story with like Stoner Ken, uh, as he's lovingly <laughs> named in the in book, the book. Um, right. who was able to teach me things I wasn't able to get out of college, yeah. you know, in terms of cracking Photoshop so that I was more efficient in screen printing and reducing my costs massively. Got it. Um, so like the, the there's, the, look, there's the, the cultural icons that are like from a style perspective, a gestalt, a philosophy are massively influential. George Lucas, you know, uh, the vibe of, of like a Miles Davis. Uh, you know, I think Kanye West is a, a really challenging thought leader, you know, um, and I know that's kind of like a trendy thing to say, but I think he really is kind of like the Dylan of, yeah. of, of our, our musical time um, or the, the Lennon. Um, uh, 
Uh, no, that's good. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I like that. Yeah. That's a nice mix of some people we wouldn't have heard yeah, of. Yeah, real people. people like I, I find my point is is like I'm really lucky. Some of them I have really intimate, loving, personal, close relationships with. Those are the ones that are like they're not known. Got it. And those are really the the folks that are really most. Let's go back to the audience. There were some other questions. We got that mic in the back corner. Microphone check one two one two, and they got the one, camera two. right at you right there. Here you go. go. Peace, Mark. Thanks for coming Peace, out today. You talked about the importance of having the confidence to iterate as an artist, as an entrepreneur, uh, with whatever you're working on. And you talked about fear being a blocker. Uh, I think as an artist and entrepreneur, I've found that to be true as well as with doubt and indecision. Yeah. Can you share a little bit about maybe a scenario where you, you know, were afraid or doubting or had indecision and how you, you know, maybe overcame that? maybe tactically or, you know, I sort of feel like you go through these and you learn a little bit how to deal with that as sure. you take on bigger challenges. Sure. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. I think fear, like we were saying earlier at the, at the top of uh, the session, you know, and, and like doubt, I think is like the cousin or, you know, or the girlfriend to fear or whatever. I don't know. Uh, it, it reveres, it, it shows its head in all sorts of way, but fear I think is the fundamental. Um, I, that, that stage fright is there all the time. And I think uh, as you get older, you become uh, more aware of that state and you don't uh, get overly reactionary to it. I know that, you know, one example of an instance of fear uh, or of, of like fear of people's perception or being a ridicule, and I talk about it in the book kind of funny, was an opportunity with the NFL uh, when, you know, the NFL approached us when we were really kind of, quote, walking on water from a sales perspective to license their, their brand. This is pre the throwback jersey craze. And I threw up all over the idea. And I think back of it, the reason I threw up all over the idea is because one of my competitors at the time was a good guy named Damon John, who's the founder of FUBU, had just done all of this NBA stuff and with like the, the NBA teams and did all these jerseys. So I thought people would think that I was biting them. So I was like, I'm not doing that because even though like the NFL is like one of the great yeah. American brands, I mean, right. fuck, it's like, <laughs> what a big brand. How much money did you pass on, you think? Uh, uh, well, this was, I could have rode that whole wave of the throwback jersey thing, could have been in the cut in that yeah. whole thing. Sure. But my hubris, my fear of like, oh, he's a copycat, that's so me too. And there's tons of instances of that, right? But that's like, an, that's an example of the fear being assigned by some imagined source of energy, right? And that's what we do to ourselves. We, like how, many how much time in your day, in your life, have you given away to that ghost of fear that you could never get back? How much time did you worry about shit that never happened? That Probably a lot. A lot, too much. Okay, too much. So as you get older, you start to have perspective and, and you say, and this, you know, when I share this with younger people, I, I don't, I'm not trying to sound like the old fart. I'm just saying like, man, yo, it might, that's like five extra minutes of quality of life shit. Like don't slumber don't on, on being flip about that. Yeah. So, you know, if it's an external source that is because of like gatekeeper, compliance, peer review, ridicule, or sometimes that fear of like, oh my God, everything's gonna bust. Like, I just, I'm not being daring, right? Like, well, what are you really gonna lose? And like yeah. having that honest conversation, going through the process of, well, what is the downside? Yeah. And sometimes, what's the downside of not doing it? The downside of not doing it nine out of 10 times is gonna override 
the failure part. That's like, right. When you you're really gonna kick yourself if you eat shit on something, you're gonna kick yourself more if you didn't do it than if you did in the in one, three, five, six months later. I guarantee it. Very good question. I want to keep us going because I, I feel very bad. I'm, there's so many questions coming in on the old internets. I want to go one more here in the crowd. We got about five minutes left. I know 90 minutes goes real fast when he's dropping. I'm sorry to the folks like on the internet that I, I just I puke. <laughs> Even no. I'm interrupting. I'm delaying him talking no. about the show right now. No. Any more questions here in the in studio? Training. Yeah, we got some on this side over here. You're gonna have to get to that question right there. Hey, and, Mark. Yeah. Hey, what's happening? So, as a uh, super successful business owner probably flying all over the place. Do you find it hard to kind of just be that artist in the garage, you know, creating art with how busy you are? I think the book in some crazy way had me reconnect with that. It really is a very selfishly cathartic thing. And, you write and, it down and it becomes pretty real. You're like, and you're like, and you start articulating it. It's like my, my Latin teacher used to say in high school, she, you know, poor Mrs. Kirschbaum, I think her name was. Um, <laughs> she used to say, if you ink it, you think it, Mark. That's how you're going to remember. And I, I think I said that earlier. And I use, and I would be like, Salve Magistra. And that's all I remember from like the Latin class. But she said that, and to her, Mrs. Kirshner, right? Mrs. Kirshner, to her credit, she was right. Like, you, you know, when you really are deliberate and you think about something, you articulate that it, there's something very powerful about that. So, you know, the, the book almost has put me in this place where I am more conscientious of, like, if it's my photography, my personal photography with my family, if it's my personal painting. Um, and I'm a little less... Because I've been very kind of shy about it. I shared some of it in the book. There was a period I did a lot of art and I hid all that shit. It was just sitting in the garage, dusty. And uh, I'm feeling more like I don't really care what people think if, they, if they're going to say it's stupid or gross or roll their eyes. Fuck them, you know? Like, I, I didn't build it for them. It was like therapy for me. So, like, you, 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 I, I think in some ways I'm more connected to that. And you, you'll find me at the kitchen counter with, like, the Copic markers, the paper the coffee and the kids and like the dirty paper plates just drawing some shit that's probably useless. That feels good. It's still a struggle for you to like get working uh, In terms of like getting the art out? Like you said it was gathering dust in the garage. So like it's still a challenge sometimes. Oh, stage yeah, fright. Yeah, that doesn't go yeah, away. That doesn't go away. No way. But like, and then, you know, what's, or, or here's one where people say, why don't you sell your art, right? And, and probably when I think about it, it's because I'm afraid that people might value it too low. And what kind of, like, what kind of dumb shit is that? Yeah, that's, that's like, baggage. What, the, yeah, that's just baggage. We all, all got it, though. Like, we all got yeah, it. Yeah. Damien Hurst has it, yeah, even yeah. though he probably says he doesn't. Yeah, I'm sure uh, he A does. couple more questions. We're gonna, this is going to be like rapid fire. Okay? Yes. Two sentence answer. All right, I'll try. <laughs> I will try. <laughs> Mr. Alex Rodriguez, probably not the famous baseball player, but writes in on Facebook. Hey, Rob, what's up? <laughs> what role does social media play for you? Two sentences. I'd say social media is important, but it's not everything. I think it's important for marketing, but I'm a big believer in discretion. Don't, yeah. don't submit to the vomitorium. You have to make some shit. That's just a pipe. You have yeah. to make stuff, and that's a distribution channel. That, not, that is not the make. Yeah, okay. it's not the make part. Let's go to the... Uh, that was five sentences. That was, that was five sentences. Uh, Rockcliffe Photog, at Rockcliffe Photog, says, Mark, what's been your most aha moment building your empire? Two sentences. Oh, man. Eureka is a work in progress. I, I think there have been more than one to be able to answer that in two sentences. I think saying 
you know, you're not, not everyone's going to love you has been probably one of the, 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 the patterns. If you make kind good of, shit and if there's a, a million people that pay attention to what you do, and in March's case, there's a lot more than that, and there's 1% asshole factor, he has 10,000 people that hate him. Right. Ignoring those people is probably yeah. like, yeah. is, well, I took that from the book. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really, and I've, that's my own experience too. Gatekeepers, goalkeepers, yep. goalkeepers. And what he means by that, if I'm gonna translate from mm -hmm. the book, gatekeepers are people that pretend that they actually have the keys and the goalkeepers are the people that actually matter. Right. Who are you gonna get your stuff to such that they're gonna put you where you wanna be, whether it's on the gallery wall, whether it's in, in the ad campaign, or whether it's in Macy's. Or a plate of food or a sweatshirt, whatever, right. What's your marketing, who were who your marketing mentors in the beginning? That's from at Lisa Piper Photo. George Lucas, hands down, totally, you know, rewrote the script on licensing and building, you know, business models um, and creating value for himself in a, in, a, in a Hollywood ecosystem that rolled their eyes at him asking for all those things. Leave us with one piece of advice before I wrap the show up, because I got to give away some shit here in a second. One piece of advice, um, spread love. <laughs> yeah, spread man. love, all right. Spread love, spread love. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I wanna say A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there, as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.